Welcome to our continuing educational webinar series. I am Katherine Short, Partnership Marketing Manager for First Healthcare Compliance. At First Healthcare Compliance, we help you with a comprehensive compliance management solution tailored to your business. A hospital, hospital network, healthcare practice of any size, billing company, or skilled nursing facility, and we help manage every aspect of a compliance program and our training library provides hundreds of modules that are easy to assign and track. As part of our complimentary educational webinar series, we bring you experts from around the country to discuss relevant topics in the healthcare industry. We are so pleased to have Trey Scott, coordinating attorney at Kennedy Attorneys and Counselors at Law back with us today. Trey received his Bachelor of Science and Master of Business Degrees from Texas Tech and his JD from Texas Wesleyan School of Law, now Texas A&M School of Law. While in law school, Trey was a member of the arbitration co competition team as well as, a student, as well as a student bar association representative. He was also a law clerk to the 106th District Court of the State of Texas. Trey has significant experience in healthcare law this experience includes medical malpractice litigation, administrative and regulatory appeals and disputes, professional board matters, and overpayment disputes. Trey is licensed to practice law before Texas state courts as well as the United States District Courts for Northern, Southern, Eastern, and Western Districts of Texas. Trey is also licensed to practice before the United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. Before we begin, I'd like to mention at First Healthcare Compliance, we strive to serve as a trusted resource for compliance professionals, and every month we celebrate their hard work and dedication with our Compliance Super Ninja recognition. Today, our team is turning the spotlight on Super Ninja Sharon Miller, Administrator at Gulf Coast Dermapathology Laboratory. Sharon says, patient care is paramount, and by creating a culture of caring, compassion, and respect, we have succeeded in all we do. We try to promote a family atmosphere, which in turn translates to ultimate patient care. Congratulations, Sharon. Our team is honored to have the privilege of working with you. A copy of the slides is available for download on the control panel. Feel free to submit questions into the question box of your control panel during the presentation. We will address questions at the conclusion. Your PACOM and PMI CEU certificates will be emailed to you following the broadcast. Your PACOM certificate will come directly from PACOM and your PMI certificate will come from our email. There is no need to request either one. Additional CEU opportunities will be available to BC Advantage members following the live broadcast. See their website for details. A download of the handout is available on the side or upper, upper panel of your screen. So Trey, a very warm welcome. Thank you so much for being here today. We're so happy to have you. Yes, thank you very much for having me. It's an honor to work with an organization like First Healthcare Compliance. I definitely appreciate this and uh, thank you to all the attendees out there. Hopefully this will uh, just be a refresher on some things and maybe you'll end up uh, learning a little bit of a little bit of something new but uh, hopefully this like I said this is just a refresher because Whenever it comes to um, knowing what to do, whenever there is a HIPAA breach, that, that's pretty important. And hopefully you haven't had to do quite a few uh, HIPAA breach reporting, but knowing the process is, is key. And knowing the process can uh, save yourself uh, time in, in the future. And, as you can tell from the uh, title, you are under a little bit of pressure uh, whenever a breach uh, does happen. And um, like Catherine said, my name is uh, Trey Scott. I'm an attorney in Dallas, Texas. I've been practicing uh, healthcare law for the entire time I have been an attorney. It's all I do, it's all our practice does. Uh, our practice handles everything from medical malpractice uh, claims to uh, administrative overpayment appeals with the government, 
uh, HIPAA investigation, HIPAA breach investigations and reporting. We also help providers uh, with license disputes, um, license revocation, suspensions. Pretty much if it happens in healthcare, we, uh, we end up doing it. So again, uh, thank you for uh, joining in today and uh, let's get started. So where are we going with this presentation? So first off, we're gonna talk about the notification to the uh, secretary, the notification process, what you have to do. Then we will discuss what actually is a breach because that is important uh, to know because there are some instances where you think something may be a breach and it isn't, or there's something that you think uh, isn't a breach and it actually is. Then we'll talk about who has to report and like I said, uh, to report or not to report, that is the question. I know cheesy line, but whenever you're the presenter, sometimes you get to do some things that are a little bit cheesy. So please do not hold that against me. And finally, we will go through the actual reporting process with OCR. And what I mean by this is I'll show you the questions that the OCR portal actually um, actually asks. So, okay, let's go ahead and get started. Notification to the secretary. This is... Um, very simple, it's a covered entity shall, following discovery of a breach of unsecured uh, PHI, as provided, a covered entity shall, following the breach of a, following the discovery of a breach of unsecured protected health information as provided in 164.404A2, notify the secretary and, this is getting technical here and very legal, but whenever they say shall, that means must. It doesn't mean that you can possibly notify the secretary. It doesn't mean that you can, on a whim, notify the secretary, no. It means that you absolutely, 100%, if there is a breach that you discover, you must notify the secretary. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You have to absolutely notify the secretary. Okay. Sorry, my computer froze. I apologize for that. So, and let me go back really quickly. If, if you look at uh, the regulations, the 45 uh, CFR, uh, 160, uh, 160 through 165, I believe it may be, oh, it may be more, I can't remember off the top of my head. There's a lot of different aspects of HIPAA whenever it comes to uh, HIPAA breach and what's required and everything like that. The focus of this presentation is about notifying the secretary. So that's what we're going to limit this to because there's separate things, separate requirements because you have to notify, as you know, you have to notify the individuals that were affected by the breach, you have to notify, um, if it's a large breach, you have to notify the media, everything. We're not going to talk about those aspects today. We are just going to talk about the process of notifying the secretary, what's required, and what you could possibly face if, and by that I mean, uh, what possible civil monetary penalties, things of that nature uh, you could face going going forward. So, okay, if a 
breach involves 500 or more individuals. So for breaches involving 500 or more individuals, a covered entity shall provide the notification uh, required by paragraph A of this section uh, contemporaneously with the notice provided um, by 164 and in the manner specified on the HHS website, which we'll show you the uh, website in just a second. But this is saying that you have to notify the secretary within 60 days of the discovery of a breach. And it's saying that you have to notify the secretary through the HHS OCR portal. And um, I'm throwing a lot of acronyms out there. Uh, HHS, as you know, Health and Human Services, OCR, Office of Civil Rights. So you have to notify the Office of Civil Rights of Health and Human Services. You have to notify them through their breach portal, which they have online. It's fairly intuitive, and we'll go over it in just a second. Now, notification of a breach involving less than 500 individuals. So for individuals involving, or for breaches involving less than 500 individuals, you still have to notify um, the secretary of the secretary via the online portal, but you have more time. You have uh, 60 days after the end of each calendar year. So if a breach were to occur, say March, if a breach were to occur in March, then you would have until March, I believe it's March 2nd of uh, the next year of 2023 to notify the secretary. Um, because it's 60 days, like like I said, if my math is correct, uh, correct on that. So 60 days from the end of the year, you have to have to notify. Ideally, how we recommend doing this is we recommend notifying uh, once the investigation is done and once you've followed all the proper protocols of notifying the individuals, et cetera, that is required. We recommend doing it at that time so you don't end up forgetting other um, individuals, other uh, law firms, say put them all together, uh, put all of your breaches that may be 500 people or less together and set aside one week in at the beginning of the year and then go through the notification process to the secretary of all of those at one time. And that's just, you set aside that week to do that. I get that. Um, I wouldn't recommend it because you may end up forgetting one. Um, so it's, in my opinion, easier to notify within a reasonable time after uh, the discovery of the breach, but before this deadline. But you know now you know how long you have to notify. So I keep using the word breach. So let's talk about what a let's talk about what a breach actually is. A breach means the acquisition, access, use, or disclosure of PHI in a manner not permitted. So um that compromises the security or privacy of the PHI. So that means that um, if someone that didn't have access or shouldn't have access to the PHI obtained the PHI, that's a breach. An example, um, a, former, a former client of ours was going to um, set up a email list of patients to where they could email uh, notifications of their practice. Like, uh, for example, when the practice would be open, when the practice would be closed, blah, blah, blah. And they were sending that Excel spreadsheet 
to a uh, company like Constant Contact. It wasn't that company, it was some email uh, marketing company just so they could handle it all and it would just be easier and they could also send other notices of the practice. Well, the office manager that was entering the email address for the person at the email marketing agency ended, entered it incorrectly. And it actually ended up getting sent to a uh, individual in Australia. And the Excel spreadsheet contained patient name, patient email address, and uh, date of birth. Well, that was a breach because it was unauthorized acquisition and um, access of the information. Uh, OCR did an investigation, determined that it was um, determined that it was inadvertent and it was um, not intended. It was essentially a tier one breach. Uh, so they didn't end up fining um, the client. They ended up uh, recommending some additional training, I believe, but they didn't. They didn't end up fining the client. But that was a breach. You've probably seen on the news that breaches um, occur whenever there is the hacking of um, servers, and uh, there's the um the virus where they come in and lock you out of the lock you out of the system those are in most instances breaches as well so it a breach is really any unauthorized ac uh, acquisition acquisition access use or disclosure even inadvertent disclosure of protected health information um some exceptions to what a breach is, is obviously you can disclose a PHI to the individual or guardian, uh, that's not a breach. You can disclose a PHI for the treatment, payment, or healthcare uh, operations. So you can disclose PHI to uh, insurance providers, obviously that's not a breach. And then you can also disclose uh, PHI to the government for investigations. Now, this is where an example of this is when, um, and hopefully this is not something y'all experience a lot of, but that occurs, uh, for example, whenever Medicare uh, and the uh, Medicare administrative contractor, for example, uh, Palmetto, um, Novitas, Noridian, um, all of those end up sending a request for patient um, records as part of a post-payment audit. Now, that is a investigation, and disclosing that information in the entire patient record is not a breach that is authorized, um, an authorized disclosure, and obviously not a breach. Okay, um, as I said, uh, a breach excludes uh, any unintentional acquisition, access, or use of protected health information by a workforce member or a person acting under the authority. So an example of this is um, in some instances, uh, I'll provide an example of one of our oh one of our clients. Uh, we have a client that has a uh, home health operation, and they use electronic records. And to because they have different uh, nurses working, uh, they only allow those nurses um, and their uh, nurses that work for several different agencies um, to keep it simple and make it easier, uh, they only allow nurses to have uh, access to the patients that they are going to be treating. Uh, so, for example, if a nurse incorrectly, a nurse, at a, a nurse at a home health agency 
is wanting to enter information about uh, their uh, home health visit with the patient they saw that day, and then they're keying it in in the online system, and they enter an incorrect name, and they're given access to a different patient um, because the uh, barriers were not in place that would prevent them from having access to um, all the individuals. Uh, that is a unintentional access. That is not a breach. That was unintentional. It's by a workforce member. They were acting under normal authority. And so that is not, even though it is a breach per se, it isn't a breach for the purposes of notifying the secretary. Oh, my apologies. And then a, another one is um, if a sheet of paper is left out from, say, uh, for example, um, you take your child to a uh, pediatrician and the pediatrician gives you a uh, checkout sheet uh, to take to the front desk because they still use uh, paper records and you end the you end up leaving um, that sheet of paper at the uh, in the room where your uh, where your child was treated well someone else comes in that room and they see your uh, sheet where they talk about uh, visits, your essentially your paper, uh, paper, your child's paper record in there. That is not not necessarily a breach in that part because the person that comes into the room next, they might see it, but they're really not going to be able to um, not going to be able to retain it. So that's what is. Um, in part three, it's where it was, uh, they had a good faith belief that the unauthorized person to whom the disclosure was made would not reasonably have been able to retain such information. This also occurs with um, essentially overhearing nurses talking about uh, patients where they're um, next to another patient's room and there's obviously got to be things discussed and that probably is not going to be able to be retained by the individual so that would not be a breach so who has to report a breach um, there are covered entities which is a health plan a healthcare clearinghouse a healthcare or a healthcare provider who transmits any health information in electronic form in connection with the transaction covered by this sub-chapter. Uh, sub a healthcare provider, you are, as a healthcare provider, you are a covered entity. Now, a business associate, uh, a business associate would essentially be if you outsource uh, your billing to a medical billing company that is a business associate. If you outsource your uh, prescriptions to someone, that is a, another uh, business associate. Anyone that anyone that a healthcare provider contracts with to perform a service in the aiding of providing healthcare normally can be considered a business associate. Uh, another example of a business associate is a law firm. Law firms are business associates because, for example, um, our clients, uh, whenever they are responding to government uh, investigations, they send us uh, medical records. And we, in turn, put the medical records all together and then send those medical records on to the government. We are a business associate on behalf of a healthcare provider. So 
that's why HIPAA training is important for attorneys as well, uh, because we have the we carry the same risk as what a uh, healthcare provider does whenever it comes to uh, cyber uh, cyber risks. Okay. Oops. So the deadlines I spoke about, the 60 days from the end of the year or the um, primarily whenever it comes to uh, notifying individuals and um, notifying the secretary of 500 or more, a breach involving 500 or more individuals, you're probably wondering what counts as the discovery date because a breach may occur on, for example, April 1st, um, and then you don't discover it until significantly later. Uh, we had a client that had a, a former patient, uh, or sorry, former employee uh, that randomly was able to guess uh, access codes um, to the AHR, and they ended up siphoning patients off of the uh, off of our clients, and so that started to happen in like April, and then they didn't find out about it until uh, September, whenever they noticed something was really wrong and started poking around so the fact that the breach occurred in April they don't have to uh, they don't have 60 days from when the breach first occurs they have 60 days from September whenever they first uh, discovered it because uh, breaches treated as discovered a breach shall be treated as discovered by a covered entity as of the first day of which such breach is known to the covered entity <coughs> or by exercising reasonable diligence would have been known by the cover uh, to the covered entity that phrase um, essentially is like Going going back to the September example, whenever my client first uh, discovered it, uh, they began they began an investigation as to because they started noticing something a little bit weird about the uh, medical records, and then they ended up having an IT person come in and look, and then after two days investigation, the IT person was like, hey, look, it appears that someone is gaining uh, unauthorized access by um, entering one of your employees' codes at one o'clock at night. So even though they first technically discovered the breach on <clears throat> say like September 2nd, then they had the two days of the IT uh, person's work. The date of discovery for purposes of reporting would be September 4th. So that can, um, I guess, buy you a little bit of additional time, but the safe rule is to, if you suspect a breach, count that day as the date for the 60 days. And then there are instances where you have ransomware and you find out about it that day, that's the date of the breach. So some, some discovery dates are a lot quicker to determine than, um, than others. Okay, to report or not to report, that is the question. Our basic rule at our firm is if a breach occurs, report. And obviously, that doesn't include reporting things that are not breaches. For example, the employee accessing um, 
the home health nurse accessing the wrong patient, that, as we discussed, is not a breach. So it does not need to be it does not need to be reported. And as always, there are exceptions to the rule. And um, if you're able to demonstrate that there is a low probability that the uh, protected health information has been compromised based on performing uh, a risk assessment and investigation, then you won't have to report. Those are very, very, very limited situations where you won't have to won't have to report. Um, an example of this would be mailing a statement or uh, test results to a patient. You get the patient's address wrong, but you it somehow gets returned to sender due to uh, the address being incorrect, and you can tell it hasn't been uh, hasn't been opened. That obviously would be a situation where you wouldn't have to report because no one accessed that um, that. Uh, so even though it technically was a breach because there was the possibility of someone someone accessing it, they actually didn't end up doing it. Um, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of an, another situation. Uh, another situation would be in some instances um, ransomware may not be a situation where you have to report. I would still report, but if you ultimately determine that someone tried hacking your system, but they were unable to do it, or they only got into your IT, IT team was able to discover they only accessed um, your uh, your normal uh, office uh, procedures page or something of that something of that na nature. They weren't able to access any patient information, and your IT team uh, IT team is able to determine that. Then you necessarily wouldn't have to report it. Again, though, our our uh, recommendation is to report because if a if you should have reported and you didn't, that ends up make being a lot worse. And some of the factors for you to ultimately determine whether to report or not, the nature and extent of the PHI involved, including the types of identifiers and the likelihood of re-identification, who the person was that accessed it, accessed it whether the PHI was actually viewed and the extent to which uh, the extent of which the risk to the PHI has been mitigated. So uh, you need uh, you need to look on perform a risk assessment and look at those uh, factors as to whether to report or not. Again, my recommendation: always report. And um, just for some clarification purposes, y'all should know this. Um, if you don't, don't feel bad. Whenever I first started in healthcare, I didn't know uh, what PHI meant. Now everyone, <laughs> or now it's something I see daily. Um, unsecured uh, PHI means uh, PHI that is not rendered, or that is not rendered unusable, unreadable, or indecipherable. For example, the spreadsheet containing the names, birth dates, and email addresses of patients of the clinic that were being sent to the email marketing company. That was unsecured. Uh, protected uh, health information is the uh, identifiable, identifiable health information that, and that means names, dates, uh, names, birth dates, email addresses, um, addresses, 
social security number, um, Medicare number, insurance uh, number if they have uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Aetna, things of that nature, uh, any of their results, BMI, that all protected um, health information. Okay, so we're gonna go to uh, the OCR portal and we'll talk about the actual uh, reporting questions that they're gonna be, um, that you are asked through this process. So that is the link you go to, you click on it, it takes you there. Uh, for purposes of this, I'm not gonna click on it because the landing page you end up getting, I have placed on Slide. So here's what it here's what it looks like. You end up getting this nice uh, landing page where it says "Notice to the Secretary of HHS: Breach of Unsecured Protected Health Information." So um, it says to file a breach, please enter the information in the wizard pages below. And <coughs> my apologies. Uh, now we are going to exit out of this, and I will go through the uh, I will go through a PDF that I printed off of all of the questions. So let's go through here. That's not the questions. I'll go over that in just a second. So let me move this around, and I'll bring it full for y'all. Thank you for the waiting. Okay, so here is a list of the questions and um, all information with the asterisk is required. So basically all information is required. So this is what type of breach report are you filing? Are you filing an initial breach report or are you filing an addendum to our previous report? An addendum, uh, you can file an addendum to a breach report if you do things like conduct um, conduct additional training of your patients, you discover, or sorry, conduct additional training of your employees, you end up discovering um, more beneficiaries, uh, say you have a 499 uh, breach and then ultimately you end up continuing the investigation after you did it and you determine it ends up being uh, 501, you need to do an addendum to a previous report. That's uh, what that means, whoops. Okay, and then if you are doing an addendum, you have the breach, uh, they give you a breach tracking number uh, as you go through. So now this is asking um, the contact information. It's the next set. It's, are you a covered entity who experienced a breach and are filing on behalf of your organization? So this is if you are a healthcare provider and you're, you have the breach. And this is, uh, are you a business associate who experienced a breach and are filing on behalf of a covered um, entity. For example, this is a uh, situation where if a medical billing company ends up having a breach, they would need to end up filing this on behalf of uh, the covered entity, on behalf of you. And Unfortunately, since medical, uh, medical billing companies have a lot of uh, different clients, uh, a lot of healthcare providers, they would probably have to file uh, quite a few uh, of these uh, breach reports if they were to have a breach. And then finally, are you, uh, are you a covered entity filing because your uh, business associate experienced a breach? This example would be where your covered entity, I mean, sorry, your business associate has a breach, but they don't feel like they should report or they don't want to report or they don't know the process to report. 
and you're just gonna go ahead and do it because a breach needs to be reported. All right, and then you just have to enter contact information, type of covered entity, blah, 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 all the nice, wonderful stuff. Then you have to enter the uh, point of contact. And then this is, if you're a business associate, you have to enter your information. Then you have to enter your point of contact. And then you have to enter the uh, covered entities on whom behalf of your filing. This is, as I was saying, if you're a, um, if you are a business associate and you have quite a few uh, covered entities that you experienced a breach on behalf of, you're gonna have a lot of information to uh, add here. And then go continue to go through. And then it asks the type of covered entity you're reporting on behalf of. Then business associate, point of contact. Okay, now we get to the breach information screen. Uh, it ends up being, um, if you end up looking at it, it uh, is the third uh, option. And then this is where you select it's a breach of 500 or more individuals or fewer than uh, 500. Now here is where um, you enter the actual breach date. So. For example, uh, my client that ended up having the uh, breach in April, but they didn't end up discovering it until September, they would put that down. In most instances, hopefully, your breach only, ask, uh, only lasts for a day or two, and it's not an entire, almost, uh, almost half a year. Uh, hopefully, you don't have that happen. And then the discovery dates are, are here. As I uh, mentioned, the discovery date is when you should have reasonably known when the uh, breach occurred uh, or when you actually end up discovered, uh, discovering it. So, um, for example, the client, uh, they, I, the client, whenever they were reporting it, I did the fact that the discovery start date was whenever they first noticed it, and then uh, the two days later, they had the IT person come in, and then that was when the discovery end date was. So, uh, and the breach end date, uh, going back up to that, that's whenever you, that's whenever you've taken the final, steps to prevent uh, to prevent the breach. So, for example, of the uh, one with the former employee, the breach end date was whenever they finally ended up changing the access code, and it ended up being, um, that ended up being the breach end date, and that was also the discovery uh, end date um, of that. I would have liked for it to end up being the, the breach end date would have been the discovery start date, but unfortunately my client did not do that. Um, also, uh, the side, that's why you need to change access codes regularly, or make sure you at least change access codes whenever someone leaves your uh, organization. Okay, and now we talk about the type of breach. This is hacking an IT uh, incident, uh, an improper disposal, uh, a loss, uh, theft, or unauthorized access disclosure. And the little help thing uh, to the side over there, that provides a definition uh, to help you ultimately determine uh, what category uh, it fits uh, under and it, uh, Pretty pretty detailed as to that, so you shouldn't have really any um, hard time picking an option. An improper disposal, I'll give you an example of that. Um, we had a client that had a, a improper disposal because they were storing medical records at 
a off-site um, storage facility and they managed to not pay the storage facility um, because they just forgot about it and whenever that happened the storage uh, st off-site storage uh, provider or owner went in there took all the uh, boxes of records and put them in the dumpster so that was a improper uh, disposal and that was not a fun uh, breach loss uh, obviously you end up losing cell phone um, if it has uh, medical records on it, I or laptop, if it has medical records on it, I don't recommend having medical records on uh, laptops if you can avoid it, or if it has access to um, your uh, EHR, um, that's just my recommendation. Just make sure that if you are using a laptop make sure you're not saving um, your password make sure you're not saving uh, any files things of that nature to to it in the event it gets lost or stolen because if you have if you have to key in your access code to the uh, EHR each time then even though it's technically a breach it goes into the um, it would go into what safeguards you had in place to ultimately prevent the unauthorized access. And then you can ultimately work with um, your compliance manager to determine if in fact that was a breach. Now the location of the breach, again, this is desktop to computer, uh, medical record, email, laptop, server, uh, other electronic device paper film so the improper disposal that was medical records uh, you would end up putting uh, paper films and then here's what type of um, information was involved in the breach you can see the clinical demographic financial and there is all of these you can click multiple ones let me just go back and say that so for example if you had a breach on your um you had a breach on your computer then it would end up being um let me go back up here if you had a breach on your uh desktop computer and they hacked your server it would end up being desktop computer uh electronic medical record more than likely and network server there's a chance it could also end up be being email so <clears throat> there is that no. let's go you can see the other type so uh you can also uh list the type of uh phr or phi involved in the breach under other you can uh, type it now a brief description of the breach and they do mean brief because uh, 4,000 characters really doesn't end up giving you a whole lot of room to write uh, everything that you uh, possibly can about the breach uh, here. So try to be try to give as much detail as you possibly can, uh, but you may have to limit uh, you may have to limit what you say in there because I like including what safeguards you had in place in the description of, uh, of the breach, even though it gives you an option to do that right there, I still like having that um, just to give the OCR more information and let them know a couple of times about um, what you have in place. Now, again, you list the safeguards. You had privacy rules, safeguards, um, security rule, um, safeguards. So for the improper uh, disposal of the medical records, unfortunately, my client really didn't have um, a whole lot of 
safeguards in place regarding that. He just uh, he was able to have um, really just access uh, because you needed to have access to the uh, storage unit, but unfortunately, that was really it. There were no other uh, safeguards in place. And then um, here, the notice of the breach and the actions taken. This is where you have to get into the whole details of um, how have you notified the individuals and um, like I said, that's kind of a separate thing about what you have to do to notify the individuals, but just know if there is a breach, you do need to notify the uh, individuals. Um, substitute notice really quick. That's just if, um, for example, you send the breach notification letter and it comes back and you, uh, it comes back and says, uh, incorrect address, uh, return to sender, then you need to um, do substitute notice. Um, media notice required, that's obviously, if you have over 500 individuals, you need to do the um, media notice that allows you to, a drop down of the state and territories you have to do. Now, after you discover the breach, you really need to end up doing things to make sure it's not going to happen again. And this is where OCR looks. The actions taken and the safeguards in place, that's where the OCR looks to ultimately determine if a fine is going to be imposed and what type of fine uh, you're going to end up getting. So here's a list of what they uh, recommend and um, what actions they say should be uh, should be done. And it obviously gives you another option for uh, other, and you can describe any other actions um, actions taken. And then here you just have to say that everything above here you're not lying about and um, you're doing the um, doing everything you can. If it's more than 500 individuals, uh, some of the information is going to be made available uh, publicly and I'll show you that in the next PDF I'm going to go to. And so you enter your name and uh, the date um, generate. So, um, for example, uh, we can file, we as attorneys, uh, can file these breach reports on behalf of our clients. We do uh, quite often. We don't necessarily recommend our clients doing, uh, doing that on their uh, If they uh, have done it uh, themselves, we we don't um sorry if they have retained us then we don't recommend them uh complete this form but you can complete this form there's nothing that says you can't complete this form and following these steps you will be able to complete this form um just make sure that everything you say on here is accurate and you're not lying about it in any way because that's not good. Now, I said that some of the information provided on this form will be publicly available. So the list you do not want to end up on is this list. This is a list where um, uh, the largest breaches occurred. Like, for example, Florida Healthy Kids Corporation, it occurred state Florida, it was a health plan. Number of individuals affected. That is a very, 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 very large number. And it tells you how the, the type of the breach, it was a hacking, an IT incident, and the location of the breach was a network server. And was there a, a business associate? Yes. So you see there are a lot of 
breaches involving a significant number of uh, patients, and that's what we don't want you to uh, have happen, and that's why following uh, first care, uh, first healthcare uh, compliance guidance. Um, hopefully, you will never make this list. Uh, things do happen, uh, but hopefully, you won't. So now that will close all of this, and then we will uh, end the presentation. Give me, give me one second to pull this back up. Ah, whoops. Got to love technology. Okay. And there's that. And then questions. Okay, Trey, thank you so much. That was a really uh, wonderful presentation and uh, very um, informative. So thank you so much. We do have a few questions. And so um, so we'll we'll cover those right now if we have a chance. Um, so the first one is, if we report a breach, are there any financial penalties we might face? I think. Uh, I think yes. 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 <laughs> Thank you. I uh, I mentioned that in the presentation, and I forgot to um, I forgot to actually talk about it. I guess that was a, a good tease for the questions. So yes, there are possible. Uh, possible penalties you can face, and there are uh, there are tiers of uh, possible penalties. Uh, tier one, um, that's where it was a lack of a lack of knowledge. It was not really anything that was too egregious of uh, of a breach. Uh, you could face uh, a fine of a hundred dollars to uh, fifty thousand uh, dollars per incident. If there's a uh, if you had reasonable cause to know that the uh, breach was possible to uh, possible to occur, then you can face a, a fine of a thousand dollars to fifty thousand dollars per event. Then there is willful neglect. That's tier three. That is when you just straight up don't have any procedures in place, you have no compliance program, you have nothing in place, then uh, that could be a fine of $10,000 to $50,000 uh, per um, event. And then uh, finally, uh, the last category is neglect. And this is um, not having a compliance program in place and then you end up get, having a breach and you still don't have a compliance and program uh a compliance program in place after uh the breach then that is uh just straight up neglect that is not corrected that's category 4 and that is 50,000 uh per violation and these numbers are actually adjusted for inflation I don't know what the current um, totals are, but they are adjusted for inflation. Okay, thank you so much. Okay, um, how about this? Uh, in your opinion, what is the main cause of a data breach? Is it hackers, ransomware, something else? What's What's your opinion on that? Or what is the data employees. show? Employees. Okay. Uh, employees. Okay. Employees are the main cause of uh, data breaches, uh, whether it's loss of laptops, whether it's loss a uh, theft of laptops, leaving leaving it in a car while you go uh, eat at a restaurant, uh, and someone breaks in, steals the laptop, lost cell phones, use of email to uh, send medical records that aren't encrypted. Uh, for example, not changing uh, access codes, having an easy password, clicking on links uh, in email that they shouldn't, which allows a hacker to uh, get into your system. All of that, it's the main cause of breaches are employees. Um, and uh, for example, the uh, going back to the improper disposal, 
The reason that breach occurred was because an employee that was in charge of paying, um, the office manager that was in charge of paying uh, for the storage uh, facility forgot to pay for the storage facility for several months and they ended up uh, throwing away all the records. So it is employees are the number one cause of breaches in my opinion. Okay. The number one cause of avoidable uh, HIPAA breaches are employees. And right. that just unfortunately is something that, and why training is uh, so important and why you need a compliance program uh, in place in your organization. Right. Okay, well, thank you so much, Trey. Um, do you have any other words of advice or anything you'd like to leave with us today before we wrap up? Uh, I didn't. I do, and I'll just uh, go over one more slide. Here are the sources that were used for uh, the presentation. As you can see, the Code of Federal Regulations. Then we have the HHS.gov uh, site. And then also. I use the FIRST Healthcare Compliance HIPAA Privacy and Security Toolkit, and then the FIRST Healthcare Compliance uh, Fundamental Toolkit. Uh, those are good um, quick guides to look at and uh, refresh, and um, it puts it all pretty much in one place, and myself being an attorney, so I don't have to Google multiple things, it's kind of nice to just have it in uh, one place. So those are the sources. Uh, I use and the Code of Federal Regulations, that's easy to find. All you have to do is Google it and then you end up going to um, you end up going to law.cornell and Cornell has uh, all of it on the website and it keeps it up to date. Really end up liking that website. But that's it. Okay, great. Thank you. And um, for those who are wondering, you can find the the first healthcare compliance books, you can actually find those on Amazon. And if you have any trouble also, then you can find them on our website too, under I think shopping cart. Uh, you can find those as well. Um, but those are, those are extremely helpful and um, real concise and uh, get right to the heart of the matter of what you're looking for. Do you have a slide that shows your contact information, Trey? Uh, I actually do not. My my apologies. I should have I should have done that. <laughs> but uh, my my email. If you uh, want to reach out to me and you have any questions that maybe I didn't address today, or uh, you want to talk about something maybe your organization is facing, um, my email address is Trey. That is T R E Y at markkennedylaw.com. That's M A R K. K-E-N-N-E-D-Y-L-A-W.com. So feel free to reach out to me uh, after this. And um, hopefully, hopefully uh, if you have any questions, I'll be able to uh, answer them. Oh, uh, my cell, uh, my direct line is 214-998-3825. 214 nine nine eight three eight two five so uh, if you want to chat over the phone uh, because you have a really lengthy uh, question uh, feel free to give me a call okay thank you so much Trey um, we'll also in our um, follow-up um, in our follow-up emails to our attendees we'll put your um, your email address in there so um, attendees you can look for that and then anyone who's watching this um, webinar uh, later you they'll be able to um, hear this on there. So that's great. Um, so, so attendees, if you have any questions, um, you can reach out to Trey directly, or if you, um, if you would like also, you can send us questions and we'll forward them on to Trey and, um, and he can answer those questions for you. So please remember your PACOM and your PMI CEU certificate will be emailed to you from within two days following the broadcast. There's no need to request it. Trey, I wanted to thank you again so much for being here today. So thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you to all the uh, attendees out there. I definitely appreciate getting to uh, speak with you about uh, OCR reporting. Uh, hopefully this was uh, beneficial. I know there were some areas we didn't 
necessarily cover like notification to individuals and notification to media and just some other nuances about doing a risk assessment, things of that nature. But uh, hopefully, uh, if you do have a breach, this will allow you to report to uh, OCR. And if you want to get an attorney involved to help you uh, report to uh, OCR, feel free to give us a call. Great. Thank you so much. So attendees, um, you can register for any future webinars or request a demo of our compliance solution on our website at firsthcc.com or call us at 888-543-4778. And thank you for joining us.